Thanks, friend. This is the beginning of our Asmer podcast. <laughs> we keep talking about doing that. We do. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are beginning our discussion of the book The Silver Chair. This is book six. We're almost done. And um, the first, this is our discussion of chapter one, titled Behind the Gym. I am Adela Pennyfather, also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I might be a huge butterfly, also known as Chris. Hello, Chris. I thought you were going to be a Spivens. No. No? You're a huge butterfly. Might I might be. be. You might be. I might also be a jewel. I'm really bright and it's hard to tell. I feel like we read different books. Nope. <laughs> I'll read the passage I don't later. Know. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, well, we'll get there. Okay. I don't want to spoil the chapter already, but we'll get there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I actually read chapter 15. Um, <laughs> I thought we were doing this book backwards. Yes, we are doing this book backwards. That would be an interesting exercise. It would. We could try to puzzle out where the plot started to we end could. up here. We could. We could do so much baseless speculation. <laughs> we could. All right. Yeah, that actually sounds fun. Yeah. Eh, no, it doesn't. Um. <laughs> so also, Kristen, we're recording on your brand new computer. Yes. You got a fancy new set up bought a new computer therefore had to buy a new desk yeah. so it's this endless cycle next i have to buy a new chair yep um it's a it's a trap you'll get caught in because the dining room chair that i've been using to sit at the side of your desk on my laptop for the last year mm-hmm. is just you know not not put not putting in the work anymore yep it's not <laughs> gotta get a new chair you need to get a swivelly one Gotta get a new chair. One that's quieter for the podcast because so mine's really loud. Yours is, you say yours is loud, but I very rarely hear it. I know you make a point of being quiet, but yes. anyway. Because if I move. You're trying so hard to make it make noise and it won't. That's fabulous. <laughs> made a few noises in there. Anyway. So, new book, new computer. Yes. New us. Well, same old us. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Whew. I think we're the same people. I think so too, but... Huh. Uh, and as you said, we're almost done. This is the penultimate. The penultimate book. It is the penultimate book. Wow. I'm now mentally preparing myself for you to say that every single episode this series. <laughs> and the ultimate book for the next book. I, you know, I, I keep thinking, oh my gosh, we're almost done. Also, we have at least like 40 episodes left to do. Yep. <laughs> so we got to... We got a ways. We do. But why don't we just jump into it? All right. So uh, today we're discussing Behind the Gym, the first chapter of The Silver Chair. And um, let's just start with the first line uh, about Jill crying behind the gym. That's that's cool. We've met a new character. Mm-hmm. And uh, then let's dive immediately into Lewis's uh, opinions on education. 
Sure. Because half of this chapter is just talking about how bad this school called Experiment House is. It's becoming a theme. It is more on education. Mm -hmm. But how do we start the podcast? Oh, how do we start the podcast? <laughs> I was like, I'm just waiting for Excellent. you. Excellent. We took one week <laughs> off, and here we are, mm-hmm. not knowing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We start this podcast by doing summaries. When we do our summaries, uh, as Chris and I are reading through the chapter, we each select five sentences out of the chapter, pluck them out of context, and create a summary of the chapter, trying really hard to just pick five random sentences, you know. Random. At the start of every at the start of every book, we always over explain this segment. Like it's a really really simple to grasp concept. We summarize the chapter with the chapter's know. own words. Yep. Would you like to go first, or do you want me to? I'll do it first. Okay. It was a dull autumn day, and Jill Pole was crying behind the gym. A lot of queer things happened to me in the halls," said Eustace mysteriously. Aslan. Aslam, Aslam, repeated Jill. And before she had quite known what was happening, he had grabbed her hand and pulled her through the door, out of the school grounds, out of England, out of our whole world, into that place. One was that she had wrenched herself free of Scrub's clutches. The other was that at the same moment Eustace himself, with a terrified scream, had lost his balance and gone hurtling to the depths. Fun. As you said, this is a hard chapter to summarize. Yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, I haven't said that on the pod, but I've said it about seven times in the last yeah. two days trying to figure out what to do with it. We did uh, have two sentences in common, number one and number four. I, I expected us <sighs> to have three or four sentences in common. Yeah, I just expected because, more. Yeah. Um, but I found a really fun sentence to end with, so I, I decided not to include the bit of the, about the cliff uh, because I, I felt, if, I don't know, we'll get there. Well, I think... I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll go into my little bit about your leaving out mm. of the cliff after I hear your summary. So here's See my summary. you did it justice. It was a dull autumn day, and Jill Pole was crying behind the gym. Scrub saw that she wasn't quite herself yet, and very sensibly offered her a peppermint. Suppose... <laughs> Sorry, that look. Supposing I told you I'd been... Uh, place where animals can talk and where there are er enchantments and dragons and well all the sorts of things you have in fairy tales and before she quite knew what was happening he had grabbed her hand and pulled her through the door out of the school grounds out of england out of our whole world into that place fortunately she was given no time to think over what she had done okay I feel like you've kind of set it up for a weird thing, though, because there's there's an important sentence that Eustace says when he grabs her hand. Mm-hmm. He says it's important that we not get separated. Yeah. And then we have at the cliff, they get separated. Mm-hmm. And not to, like, go all crazy, mm-hmm. but chapter two is Jill is given a task. Yes. And so... I feel like it's important to note, like, that there was this situation at the cliff and they did get separated, like... It was. Also, uh, I was... It was really difficult because I haven't read this book before. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been following the podcast, I haven't read most of these books, so this is my first time. I do get the impression that Jill Pohl is going to be the main character of this book. Okay. And so I was trying to introduce the first chapter and the summary 
with most of her perspective yeah and having her be the main character yeah and like i wrote i had a different summary in mind but i was like everything is from the perspective of eustace in this yeah and so i was trying really hard to stay away from eustace's perspective and just do her okay so that was where i was coming from fair enough cool uh so jill paul's crying behind the gym why is she crying because of them (laughs) capital t and italics most of the time too i know it's them uh so we start off this chapter as you said with uh lewis just railing against the modern educational system absolutely <clears throat> it was a co-educational system they don't swear on the bible um they let children do what they want they do we started the last book with him railing against modern parents and yes. being like, oh, well, they were very modern and sophisticated people, and they wore didn't, special underwear. They didn't have Eustace read the right kind of books, and et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And the like, I had it was a running motif before about Lewis's thing about education. The, now that we're in book six, I'm starting to seriously get the impression, and I might put this together as a theory for my, uh, you know, for our full wrap up episode at the end of the series because like I'm writing a full thesis for this. Um. I don't know what degree, what degree that's going to get me. Okay. But I'm writing a thesis. You should you should title it Mixed as the Minds of the People Who Ran It. <laughs> yes. Uh, however, I th- think this is just, like, maybe half the point of the whole book series. <laughs> is like, yes, there, yes, yes, we have Jesus, and also schools suck. <laughs> Which, I mean, I think is definitely a point that a lot of people have said. Lewis makes this point about education systems because he is very much in mind of like these kind of older strategies of educating from one person to the next and like from from a teacher to a student as opposed from a teacher to a class uh with a particular curriculum like skill training and education of story as opposed to what the education system is today and how it has expanded off of what it was 70 years ago yes when he was writing these books and i'm not sure like this is completely beside the point of the podcast or the or the the chapter that we're reading but in terms of what i've read from lewis and his opinions therein i i never really saw him provide a solution to this problem Mm -hmm. it's like he he like really like speaks out against it and it's just like i hate this education system and you know antiquity was better but he never comes up with a solution for like oh hey how could we actually make this work because his solution is like on the surface is how do we convince like millions more people to go into education because if you want the kind of close teacher student relationship that you know could exist in the modern world you need exponentially more teachers than exist so yeah but also the idea is not that everyone should be getting edu- like that the education that I think I think his idea is against the education system, mm-hmm. not not like the style of teaching. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think the goal here is to suggest changes to the system. I think the goal here is abolishing the system and going to a different form of transmitting of knowledge from one person to another through story and through practical experience, as opposed to like yeah. I think that this is very much like a. Uh, is it Cornelius? Is that the name of the instructor for Caspian, the half dwarf yes, man? Cornelius. So I think that this is very much his his ideal is a tutor. 
mm-hmm. who can guide one student or three or four or six, but someone who's tutoring someone in a specific field of knowledge mm-hmm. or, you know, expertise in that way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of more what he's advocating for as opposed to a reform to the system. Okay. Now, that said, that's the first time I've seen the cover of your book. Yeah, I was going to, I have a thing, <laughs> I have a, I, something else to talk, well, before we get into the chapter, I guess, I want to talk about the cover. Okay. So my cover, we can post this on the Instagram, is of some, what appears, I mean, I'm being sexist here, but from the, the haircut appears to be a blonde lad uh, with a sword who is attacking a very excitable snake. Like, this snake is, like, real into this battle. Yeah. It's, like, wild-eyed. Uh, so there's a big snake. Maybe maybe Eustace turns into a snake in this book. I don't know. It's the same color as the dragon in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a nope rope. It's a nope rope. Um, and I'm going to say that the, the person attacking the snake is not Jill Pohl. So You're going to say that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Because that it is, you know, looks like a boy's haircut to me. And I feel like it, in 1950s England, Jill Pohl would probably have a more traditional uh, haircut. Okay, okay. So. This is the cover of this book that I grew up with. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Could you describe what you're seeing to, to the listeners? So, um, a green-haired, green-frocked, green-legginged uh, man, boy is taking a sword uh and causing like lightning and explosive damage to uh to a chair yep radiant is damage radiant damage he's using divine smite on a silver chair yes um for some reason when he hits the chair with the sword the whole thing explodes yep um so that's <laughs> that's what I, yeah so from the first chapter getting the impression jill pole is the main character in both of our book covers jill pole is not on them so correct in fact I can't think of any covers, and as I scroll through the image search on Instagram, not Instagram, on Google, Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing any book covers that have Jill in them. Oh, 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 there's one. All of these covers, what is that? No, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not... I don't think I've seen any actual book covers that have Jill on them. Wow. So well, I guess we can this get into is, that. This is the cover that I thought you had, because I thought this one was the same artist as your books. At some point, we have to attack a chair, apparently. Yep. But why are we attacking a snake? Like, is is the snake the chair? Like, I know transmogrification is totally a thing in Narnia. I mean, um. <laughs> this cover has a chair and a snake, and has completely removed the yellow-haired boy. I think that's my favorite. Like that, <laughs> I, I do like that cover a lot. Um, I do like mine better than your than the first one you showed me, though. Yeah, that well, that, the first one a, I showed you is that weird. A, that's a terrible cover. Yep. Why does he have green hair? Um, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway. it is very much true to the experience I had of that book having green all over it. Cool. Um, should be silver. Anywho, getting into the actual plot here. Um, so we start off talking about the experiment house. First page uh, says that this book is dedicated to Nicholas Hardy. Who's that? Are we going to talk about the book at some point? <laughs> well, I mean. Do I need to look that up right now? It's a child of one of the members of the Inklings who was about eight years old at the time of the writing of this book. Oh, there we go. Hey, yep. Cool. There you go. 
Now we can talk about the book. Okay. We've, t- we've covered Nicholas. We've covered the cover. We've covered, we've covered education cover. a little bit. So um, the head said that the they the them that mm-hmm. we discussed. Yeah. Uh, the head of the school said that they were interesting psychological cases. Yeah. And send for them and talk to them for hours. Apparently, is Lewis against uh, co-ed education here? I don't know. It does seem a little it, bit it that way, but also, like, he says it was co-educational, a school for both boys and girls, what used to be called a mixed school. Some said it was not nearly so mixed as the minds of the people who ran it. Yes. And so I think, I don't know. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Whatevs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I got a weird vibe there, but I, I it's it's really brief and not enough to really get a full opinion. Okay. Um, anyway, so moving on. Anyway, she's crying behind the gym, and then she gets approached uh, by, by a boy. boy, boy, some boy, who's just like, uh, "What's up? What's going on? Why are you crying?" And then she doesn't even answer, and he's just like, "It's them, I suppose." As usual. Mm-hmm. And she nodded, and she was just like, "Yep." And at no point does Jill ever actually say what's wrong. Correct. She never tells him what happened. All of this is just inference from the boy, who's just like, "Well, I can. I suppose it's them. Yep, they're they're real jerks." And you know, there's this back and forth about who they are. Like, there's a line they both knew. They both knew. And it's and it's a building of camaraderie, and and it's a building of relationship between these two, where they have not only do they have like a shared experience that Mm -hmm. they can just recognize in each other. Yeah. But they also then, like, end up getting through this conversation to the point where Eustace can share a secret with her. And now they have a shared secret and a relationship in that way. Yeah. So we establish friendship. Uh, oh, by the way, it's Eustace. We don't know that for a little bit coming in. I mean, but, uh, shocking. And two paragraphs later, we get the information. It's Eustace Scrub. And previously... Uh, His name, unfortunately, was Eustace Scrub, but he wasn't a bad sort. Yeah, so we've gone from he almost deserved it to he wasn't a bad sort. So it's not really a compliment. He's not saying <laughs> he's not saying oh Eustace is a great guy now. It's just like eh, he's not bad. Oh, he could be worse. You know, I mean. <laughs> and then they have this little spat, and they they have kind of this fight. Uh, we have we have a character establishing moment here where we last in, in met Eustace yeah. as an annoying jerk. Yes. And then he changed and stopped being a character mm-hmm. in the previous book. And now we have an establishing of the fact that his change lasted. Yes, and he's a character again. This scene kind of echoed the introduction of, gosh, it's been such a long time, the the magician's nephew kids. Yeah. Their names. Oh, um, Diggory mm-hmm. yes. and... Polly. Polly. Yes, this scene kind of echoed the introduction of Diggory and Polly yeah where Diggory is off client but absolutely yeah Yeah. and it was the same kind of thing where like one of them is really upset and they have the kind of like this little fight about like oh you don't understand and all that kind of stuff so it's very similar scene yeah the little spat that you're talking about is is Jill saying yeah um I'm not gonna suck up to them like you do Mm -hmm. and Eustace is like whoa 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 I will admit that that's who I was last term. Uh-huh. But have I done anything of the sort this term? But he stood up to Carter about the rabbit. Oh, you know what? And he didn't s- spill any secrets about Spivens. Under torture. Under torture even. Mm. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, also, we are um, only about two weeks into the school term is what it seems like. Because she says, you've done all of that this term. Mm-hmm. And he goes, then wash out last term if you can. I was a different chap then. I was, gosh, I was a little tick, I was. <laughs> yeah. And so we have we have established now that this is just, this book is now we've established taking place like less than three or four months after the last book because this is just a matter of weeks into the term yeah. of the school year and it was over the holiday that his cousins were there and it was the summer holiday we established in the last book, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yes. And so I don't know what a summer break length was typically in England, but I can assume a maximum of like three months. Yeah. So like we haven't even gotten four months away from... Eustace going to Narnia. Correct. And he's already asking Aslan to go back. Mm-hmm. So in my summary, I just wanted to touch on this really quick. I, I wanted to come up with a line that introduced like the new character of Eustace, which is why I was like, Scrub saw that she was, wasn't her quiet herself and sensibly offered her a peppermint. Yeah. And you rolled your eyes really hard at that line. I did because it's like, all oh, the girls crying, give her some food. Like, I don't know. I just got really annoyed with that line. Also, I thought about using that line too. And then I was like, nah, I'll be mad at myself if I use that line. But because... I thought that was a really good introductory line for Eustace. Yeah. That he's, that he's developed empathy and mm-hmm. also like, you know, here, have a Snickers. Yeah. Like, like you get mad at that. You're not yourself when you're hungry. You get mad at that. Also, it works on you. <laughs> Probably why I get mad at it then. <laughs> just like, oh, look, we're just going to treat every girl the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway, well, you would say it works on me too. Because I get grumpy when I'm hungry. Yeah. You've even refused to talk to me when I'm hungry before. I have. Until you've put food in me. I have said, get this food inside you, and then we will talk 15 minutes after you're done. <laughs> anyway, so Eustace uh, has become different, and people have noticed it. Including uh, them. And them, and they don't like it. They have noticed. Yeah, they don't like it at all. And they are going to see to him. Yeah. we got to attend to him next. Whatever that means. So apparently there's just like this cabal of bullies at this school, like 15 of the biggest boys and girls. Yep. And they do whatever they want because like the head thinks they're interesting. So this uh, paints kind of a horrifying picture of the environment of this school. Yeah. Uh, well, and so we have the, uh, the question asked of why were you so different last term? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so... Eustace says the sentence I used, Mm -hmm. a lot of queer things happened to me in the halls. And Jill asks what? And he starts trying to figure out how to explain to Jill that he left the world and went to a magical land. How do you explain that? I mean, he does. I wrote in my notes, Jill believes Eustace about Narnia, question mark? (laughs) Like... Right away. No, No convincing. Really? Like... Yep. She believes him immediately. Because he starts whispering about it. It's like, that makes it sound more... And she stops for a moment and is just like, don't you make a fool of me kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you're if you lying to me, I will never speak to you again. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, let's try to get there. Let's try to do it. Let's try to get out of here. We both hate it here. Yeah. And she goes, okay, how do we do it? Are we going to make a magic circle and like... And it's it's interesting that Eustace like, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was thinking, but also I don't think that he would like it. 
So we have lots of just like hanging pronouns. We've got them out there. Then they are going to come see to Eustace. And we have him who's not the sort to like the idea that someone thinks they could control him. Yeah. Also, you know, as we all know, magic circles are for like binding and containing things. Get it right. Or or keeping out magical energies, not yep. transportation. Like, Obviously. come on. <laughs> um, it's not for transportation. Anyway. So he talks a little bit about Narnia. She immediately believes him. And, and he's, he's like, just like, all right, so we should uh, face east. Yep, let's try. Which way is east? I don't know. Oh, typical girl. You the one who asked me. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, like... <laughs> person coming up to you and being like which way's east and you're like i don't know and they're like well typical girl not knowing <laughs> why did you ask yeah if you didn't know because you asked to, because you didn't know he needed to feel superior but also that i feel like that's exactly the same kind of line that edmund would use mm-hmm. like in talking to lucy which he did <laughs> i mean it's the whole because can't girls can't keep a map in their head well because we've got <laughs> something in it yeah i mean like that this is the second time that Lewis has had one of his male characters be like, you dumb girl can't can't, can't give directions. Yeah. Apparently this is a thing. <laughs> it's been 70 how... years. Could y'all stop? <laughs> Seriously. Um, anyway, they go and they do some chanting and they're just like, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. And they're about no, to no, ask. No, no, no. They put their palms, uh, the hands out in front of them, palms down, facing towards the east, the way they did on Ramondu's Island. Was that a thing? No, it was not a thing. Because I didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I wrote an angry note about that somewhere on my paper. No. Uh-huh, but they, they did like a little mummy pose or like a... Yeah, like little, a little zombie, zombie pose, walk. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, this is, this is the way you pray in Narnia. Apparently, we missed that. Yeah. On Ramondu's Island, that when they sang to the sun, they put their arms out. Yeah. Um, but they get interrupted, and they have to, somebody's coming, they're looking for Jill to bully her more, because, you know, what else is there to do at Experiment House? And then they scramble away, which, uh, you know, the, the curious methods of teaching at Experiment House have uh, taught them how to scramble really well and yeah. get away quickly. And they, uh, they we also um, had Eustace talking about talking animals in Narnia, and talking about magic. And when Jill says, "If if I find out you've been pulling my leg, I'll never speak to you again ever," mm-hmm. she's described as looking like a tigress. That's all. I just thought that that was a really profound description. She's anyway, a, she's palms, not a lioness. That's Lucy. Paul, yes, <laughs> get it right. She's a tigress. Palms down. Whose island? All right. And so someone's yelling at them. Yep. And they have to scramble away. Sorry, I really like the word scramble today, apparently. Maybe I'm thinking about eggs. I haven't had breakfast yet. Even though that's not how I eat my eggs. I digress. Anyway. Owing to the curious (laughs) methods of teaching at Experiment House, one did not learn much French or maths or Latin or things of that sort, but one did learn a lot about getting away quickly and quietly when they were looking for one. Yep. And so they go run off. They go into we the We also rush. have him finally, like, speaking as a narrator here. Like, he's not, he's clearly giving an opinion, but he's not saying, oh, yeah, this is, like, he, he even used the word one super awkwardly to not say you to the reader. Yeah. So, like, 
Lewis has changed something in his style here in his interjections, at least. He has. I, I, at this point, I'm assuming by the seventh book, he's just going to get into like a weird third person yeah. being like, I, Jack Lewis, <laughs> in talking to these characters later. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So they run towards the wall that opens the, to the door on the wall that opens to the moor that everyone has hope is open because that one time it was open, but it's usually locked. Mm-hmm. So they run to the door through the laurels. And uh, they open the door, and it is bright, brilliant light. Which they shouldn't expect, because it's, you know, it's England, and it's always dull and dreary and gray and gross-looking. They saw smooth turf, smoother and brighter than Jill had ever seen before, and blue sky, and darting to and fro, things so bright that they might have been jewels, or huge butterflies. See, that was in the chapter. Okay. (laughs) It's right there. I see. And I have an illustration of them. Uh, these things that might have been jewels or huge butterflies. They're can't birds. Really, yep. Can't really tell what those are. They're birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. It's, just, it's, it's right under. They might have been huge butterflies, and then it's obviously a picture of birds. Yep. <laughs> so. All right. <laughs> um, so they they look kind of frightened, and then Eustace is like, nope, nope, come on. And he keeps calling her Paul. Yep. Like, this is a thing. Where, and she like, calls him Scrub. Yep. They they refer to each other by last names, which is not, uh, I don't think it's a thing that's happened with characters in the book before. Correct. So, this is a new that's dynamic. because we had four Pevensies before, so, like, what were they going to call each other? Yeah. Pevensie? Pevensie? That no, been, that fool Pevensie. That would have been great, though. <laughs> would have been a nice touch of whimsy in that book. Um, so... They, they're hesitating on going through the door, and then they hear the voice of Edith Jackal, who's not one of them, but was one of their hangers-on. She's a jackal, also. Yeah. An animal name. Yep. And then, is that foreshadowing? Will there be a jackal at some point? Probably. And so, that pushes them through. They have to run through, and all of a sudden, they're in a different world. So Grab this hands, is... because we mustn't get separated. Yep. And uh, this is yet another method of transmission in Tenarnia. We yep. have the school gate. Through a door, just mm-hmm. like, you know, the wardrobe has a door. Yeah. And so this is, I almost I almost want to say it's interesting. I don't know if it is interesting, but I want to say it is. Not sure. Because this is the first time. Is it objectively interesting or subjectively Well, this is the first time we go to Narnia without. Um, this is the first time we go to Narnia by direct request. Yes, by direct request, and also without uh, like directly magical means, because like the first like the first time in our reading that we ever go is through the Wood Between Worlds, and we have the magic rings. Yep. Then we go through the wardrobe, which was made out of the fancy tree, which you know the fruit came back from Narnia, so it had something magical about it. Blah blah blah. Then we go through nothing, and the the Pevensies are just like teleported away, uh-huh. out of nowhere direct request of Aslan and then we go through the magic painting of the Narnian ship you this say is, magic painting it's a painting of a Narnian ship okay but it's and then, not and magic it comes a lot. like it's just yes it is it is not of our world we had lots of discussion in, yes. the, in the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe episode about whether or not the wardrobe it's in the title yeah. whether or not the wardrobe itself was magical like, yes. and I, I thought... I, I hold that it is. Okay, but I thought that... I, I made it clear that I, I assumed they were getting there through necessity of escaping from something. 
which that they that's are what here. was opening the door in the same way that this is. Yes. And that these two doors are opening in the same way. Yeah. This is the first time they're going through a completely mundane means, though. There's just a gate that exists it's in the school. Door. It's a door. They just go through it. Suddenly, Narnia. Cool. Oh, hey. Are they in Narnia, though? Oh, well, they go somewhere. Um, there's bright things overhead, which now turned out to be birds. Um, <laughs> they're not, weird. They're not, in fact, jewels. Weird. Flying around overhead. Although, in, it's Narnia. That could very much be a thing. Who knows? So there's birds. There's rather advanced music. Mm. Uh, the bird songs. And there's, like, these very brightly colored birds flitting all over the place. And also, we have trees. It was a very low. It was a very lonely forest, though. It was. There's trees, bug. There's trees. There's trees. Huge trees. Huge trees. And I have an illustration of the huge trees. Oh, you have an illustration of trees. Yeah. Fabulous. And in, in this illustration, they look like normal sized trees to me. Like that's <laughs> that's about how I'd expect a tree to be. If if anything, like if we're assuming that the kids are like four feet tall or so, like they're not even that big. Like these aren't like redwoods. Like, gosh, you're so picky. Uh, <laughs> also, another bird. Yes. No. So they're walking along. Yeah. And uh, suddenly a cliff. Suddenly a cliff. And imagine the highest cliff you've ever been atop of. And I had to stop and think. Grand Canyon. Yeah, I guess so. You can, like, I guess you could call that a cliff. And yeah, I forget. It is a, a, can, a canyon wall is a cliff face. I forget how deep the Grand Canyon was. We looked at the infographic and it's, it, how many Empire State Buildings deep is it? I don't know. That's a... <laughs> but that's the deepest point as opposed to, yeah. like, where we necessarily were. But yeah. yes, it was measured in Empire State Buildings, like two and a half or something. Okay. So thinking of being there and then imagining something 20 times higher than that. Like, they're, they're in a forest, like, way, 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 way up on some very high embankment. Mm-hmm. Because they can look down and they see clouds. Mm-hmm. And, like, far below that, they look and see land that you can't, you can't tell whether it's farmland or forest or whatnot. Yeah, because it's just land. So, like, this, this is very much like a description of, like, how land looks from being on a plane. Yeah. So, like, they're miles up. Uh, which it should be colder, you would think, if they're if in that high an altitude, you'd think there'd be snow. But you would think there'd be snow. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but there's a whole forest up there. They come to the edge of the cliff and they have a little they have a little scuffle mm-hmm. on the edge of the cliff because uh, Eustace accuses Jill of being afraid or no or no no. Or, or, Eustace is trying to protect her, yes. grabs her to pull her back from the edge, yes, and she says, "Oh, like a, I'm a child or something." Yeah. And when she saw. How very white he had turned, she despised him. So it's a strong line. That is a very strong line. <sighs> so she gets closer to the edge just to be like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, I'm fine with heights and this cliff is fine and you're just scared. Uh-huh. Just to kind of rub it in his face. Yeah. And then she actually looks down and realizes that this cliff is 20 times higher than anything that she's ever seen before. Yeah. And her whole body locks up. Yeah. And Eustace comes and tries to pull her back. And then they scuffle Mm -hmm. a little bit. And he calls her a blithering little idiot. Jesus. Some, Some harsh stuff in this chapter. And she ends up getting away from the cliff edge and Eustace ends up falling. Yep. He goes right over the edge. He does. And then as soon as he falls, she's joined by some brightly colored animal. Mm-hmm. Rushes up to the edge of the cliff and starts blowing. Yes. Starts a blowing right away. 
uh, as steadily as a vacuum cleaner sucks in. I was in just about this, to read that. <laughs> this, this critter starts blowing. And uh, she sees something far below her, a tiny black speck floating away from the clip and slightly upward. So we can assume that whatever this thing is is blowing uh, Eustace away on a path that won't kill him. We can assume that since we're on this gigantic cliff, Mm -hmm. high up that there should be snow and there's no snow and they're in a beautiful forest with jewel bird wing butterfly animals that have these beautiful songs yes and that eustace is then blown out and upward to get to narnia that we are in aslan's country (laughs) the evidence is all there this is Aslan's country. We're in Aslan's country. I'm so certain of it. I'll fight you. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm I not going to say no. I think I don't we're have... in Aslan's country. I think we are in Aslan's country looking down at Narnia. I think we are on the wall of the Dyson Sphere looking down at Narnia. It could be. But I also, it does, like, the one of the few descriptions we get at this place, it says it's a very lonely forest. And, mm-hmm. like, that seems like a very negative description for, like, the so glory of So is the wood Aslan's between country. the world. Yeah, but you would think Aslan's country would be, like, full of life and magic and beauty. and There is. The song. Uh Uh-huh. It's rather advanced music that you wouldn't (laughs) quite take in at the first hearing. Yeah. So we might be on the wall. Except, I don't know. I feel like if they were in Aslan's country, like, looking down at Nardia, like, they would, like, from that perspective, they'd be able to see the disc or, like, the curve of the world or something like that. And it doesn't say that. It doesn't. So... Also, we don't, at the end of the last book, we don't really establish, like, there's a giant cliff face that we see. Yeah, so, except that we see mountains that are 20 times higher than any mountains on Earth, and yeah. they don't have snow on them. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. It's possible. We might find out in the next chapter when Jill is given a task after she's left sitting here. Anyway, hey, it's a lion. It's a lion. <laughs> the big, brightly colored creature. Yep. Which, glowing. Which, which I didn't... Like, when it first came in, I actually didn't assume it was Aslan just because it says, hey, some giant brightly colored animal. Yeah. And, like, I never picture Aslan as being brightly colored. Hmm. His lions are, like, you know, kind of yellowish. Yeah. So I, w- I was thinking, what is this weird critter? But then I was like, oh, yeah, of course. It's, it's lion. It's uh-huh. Aslan. Cool. So that's what happens in the chapter. Um, So we introduce... The only real new character, like, we have Eustace, and he's kind of reformed. What do we know about Jill so far? Like, who is Jill as a character? What do we... She's someone who's bullied and not afraid of heights. Not afraid of heights. And doesn't like being treated like a kid or being asked for directions when someone is just going to tell her the directions anyway. She's spunky. I like her. Yeah. She's she's got some, some sass. She does have some sass. Uh, she has... I don't know. She has some poly energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely some poly energy. Mm-hmm. Definitely not Susan energy. Not Susan energy, no. And not so much Lucy energy. Yeah. Like, I feel like Jill and Polly are two very different. Like, they, they're, I feel like they're on one level of female characters, uh, Lewis writes. Uh-huh. And then, like, Susan and Lucy are very different. Yeah kind of character that i mean she does get a name unlike ramondu's daughter yeah so valid (laughs) 
So that's a thing. Yes. Um, So so yeah, last sentence is, it was a lion. And then that's it. Anything we didn't touch on or do you think we've covered it? Um, I don't know. The trees? (laughs) There's trees again. There's birds. Um, We might be in Aslan's country. Birds? (laughs) Trees? I know. I know. Um, yeah, no, I think that's about it as far as, uh, like, I don't know, is there more that you want to talk about? We've introduced Jill Pole, mm-hmm. um, and we've introduced the idea of getting into Narnia on request, mm-hmm. or at least getting out of this world into another world by this weird Narnian prayer ritual. Yeah, that we never see before, but is apparently an established thing. Apparently. We, cool. s- we do a sun salutation. Yep. Anyway, so they're separated, and then now they're going to have to find each other. Yep, probably. How's Jill going to get down from this cliff? Apparently she can jump, and Aslan can just, like, blow her over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that Aslan's just going to push her. Yeah. All right, cool. Knowing Aslan like I do. He's <laughs> probably oh. just going to shove her over the edge. Oh, in this world, he has a different name. In this world. Okay. Well, uh, with that all said, uh, I guess it's time to go into our next segment, our uh, rewrites. A.K.A. Narnia Chopped and Screwed. And what do we do here, Kristen? Or the Narnia Fusion Buffet. (laughs) We'll catch on one of these days. We should call it that if we do a rewrite section of the next book series. Yeah? You know, not Narnia, but it's still the Narnia Fusion Buffet. The Fusion Buffet? Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate having your support on this matter. Thank you. And what do we do in this point? Well, at this one, well, well, we do things. Hey, Chris, what do we do here? (laughs) Somebody hasn't had their coffee yet. But what we do here is we pick five more sentences out of the chapter, much like the summary. But in this one, we choose to write our own stories with them. Cool. Uh, So I believe that I read my Summary. summary first. So you get to read your rewrite first. Sure. So, here's my rewrite, which I thought was fun. Everyone at Experiment House knew what it was like being attended to by them. It's them, I suppose, as usual, said the boy grimly, digging his hands further into his pockets. The head said they were interesting psychological cases, and sent for them and talked to them for hours. They've noticed it. The sound of Edith Jackal's voice stopped as suddenly as the voice in the radio when it is switched off. Ooh. You got all <laughs> creepy with them. I did. I could not. The, no. the them thing was too pervasive for me to not do something with it, so. I also went a little creepy, so okay. um, let me go ahead and read mine. Okay. Although she had been longing for something like this, Jill felt frightened. And tell nobody? Is it safe? When she saw how very white he had turned, she despised him. We mustn't get separated. So, there you go. That was only four sentences. No, uh, and tell nobody, is it safe, are two Uh, separate sentences. Okay. My delivery on them was to make them come from the same person, so. I see. Look at us being little uh, little creepy guys. I was trying to get mine all, like, uh, (sighs) 
like like there was a kidnapping. Uh-huh. I just couldn't quite get to it. Like, we shall have to attend to him next, I wrote down. Yeah. We were just whisked away, I also wrote down. We both went weird with this chapter. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. What is th- th- That tells us that there's a lot of creepiness here in this chapter, especially about Experiment House. Yeah. Like, that place is just really, really creepy. Mm-hmm. It's really creepy. And them. And them. <clears throat> also, there's this element of we never actually see any of them. Yes, that's true. Uh-huh. Just their helpers. Yeah. Their attendants. Yep. So, yeah, it, it is. it is kind of a creepy undertone there. It's, it's very, it's, it reminds me of the island of the Duffers. Yeah. Like, we're going to come back and they're all going to be monopods or something <laughs> at Experiment House. Yeah. That's why the head's talking to him. Yep. He's transforming them into monopods. Yes. The head <laughs> is, in fact, a star that has come to rest in Experiment Whoa. House. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, wait, sorry. We're getting into basic speculation. <laughs> we are. So that's our last segment that we can just roll right into. Uh, called Baseless Speculation, and since I've never read this book before, and it's a brand new book, I get to go through it and just uh, wildly, baselessly even, speculate as to what the plot's going to be or what's going to happen. Uh, and that's <clears throat> that's usually easier to do right at the start of the book. This chapter hasn't given me a ton to work with. Uh, I wanted to start with saying... I think I have to adjust my my model of how Narnia operates as a as a planet or a place because if we're going with the idea and I like your idea that they actually got transported into Aslan's country then I I have a different mental picture of what this whole system looks like okay because you don't think it would look like that from the Dyson Sphere side I I don't because I think see what I'm picturing now is like the the continents of uh, and oceans of Narnia just existing in like this vast circular valley oh, that's okay. being surrounded by this higher land. Interesting. And like because a pool. yeah, because for instance, when like the last book, they came to the edge of the world. At no point do we ever get descriptions of oh they saw over the edge of the world and to black nothingness or whatever. No, we never because see there was a wall of water. Yeah, we never see what's you know, underneath, if there is an underneath, maybe the wall of water just goes into some kind of impossibly deep chasm or something. Like, and we also never, like, we get closer to the sun, but we never get to the point where we can, like, look off and see, oh, hey, there's blackness in space and whatever. We just see big mountains in Aslan's country. Yeah. So maybe we're not in a disc world. We're in some sort of other weird shape where all of Narnia is just in this very, very, very large valley. Mm-hmm. And is just surrounded by the upper hills of Aslan's country. Possibly. Or something. Or at least to the east. Maybe there's something completely different off to the west that we don't know about. Possibly. So I'll have to draw some new diagrams of how Narnia works. Yes, you will. Um, that... Label them more clearly for the Instagram this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, don't don't at me with like the assertions that Caspian is just like, oh, the world is obviously flat. I've dreamed about living on a round world. Nobody's explored the world in Narnia. Like, he's the first person that's ever been to the edge of the world. He doesn't know crap about the geography of the planet. So, anyway. He's getting preemptively <laughs> defensive. Very, very, very preemptively defensive. Um, other baseless speculation. Um, Eustace turns into a snake, obviously. The, the snake on the front cover of my book is almost exactly the same color as the dragon on the color of uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay. 
and who's this one's very angry though that one was really sad yeah i mean maybe he gets angry maybe he gets real tired of the bullies and he's just like you know what i'm gonna learn some crazy narnian magic and go back there and turn into a giant snake and eat all of them oh i see um you don't think that that's something jill would do and eustace in part of his character arc has to help her recover maybe and that's possible and i did think about that whereas if the you know it's jill as the snake and the character on the cover is actually eustace wielding the sword and having to attack her and like there's this whole like conflict that arises there yeah however uh the character on my cover at least is very much not wearing earth centric clothing i don't think this yeah, is very it's probably much a, a narnian person seems like a narnian person uh also seems male i don't think caspian's gonna get a third book <laughs> Okay. So I really don't want to say it's Caspian. So like whoever it is wielding the sword, I think is somebody we haven't met yet. Okay. And it's this is this is going to be in the future. Like it could still be within Caspian's reign, but if it is, I think he's going to be much older. Okay. But I would say it's more likely that this is like hundreds of years past Caspian's reign. Interesting. Okay. Because in in general, the the direction we've been going with the books is big jumps into the future, except for. Prince Caspian to Voyage yeah. of the Dawn Shatter. Yeah. That's the only one that hasn't really... Yeah, but it, it, as far as continuous characters... Yes. We've taken a group of characters, mm-hmm. put them in Narnia, let them live there for 30 years, and then sent them home. Mm-hmm. And then they come back thousands of years later. Yes. And then some of that same group of people come back, like, four years later. Yeah. Like, that's that is not... Like, as far as our story and our characters, there's mm-hmm. only been two times where there were jumps, and one was big and one was small. Yeah. So, you're not making an argument for consistency here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, something, something that Eustace mentions in this chapter I wanted to touch on a little bit. And he says something about... Uh, the Pevensies having gone to Narnia a few times and then not being able to go back. And that got me thinking, like, well, how many times did the Pevensies actually go into Narnia, like, in independent cases? Like, they went in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They got pulled in for Prince Caspian. And two of them got pulled in for um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah. So Peter and Susan... Went twice. Went twice. Lucy and Edmund went three times. Went three times. And this and will be Eustace's second time if he's in Narnia. And I'm wondering if that's some kind of weird limit where, like, oh, hey, you get two or three times that you can go through, but that's it. Well, we've clearly been told they're too old. Yeah. Except Peter and Susan got too old much later than Edmund and Lucy got too old. True. So it's not just an age number thing. It's got to be something else more. It's maturity. So you think Edmund and Lucy are more mature at that point than Peter and Lucy were? At Peter, that age, Peter yes. And Susan were yeah. at that age. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. I mean... They had to mature faster. They were younger during the war. They're recovering from war trauma. They had to mature faster. And they've also been to Narnia a few times, so they've had more opportunity to process wartime trauma and grow as people. So yes, they should be, because Susan and Peter would have been more stunted at being older, mm-hmm. like, and having to spend less time in Narnia getting matured up and being like, hey, you're this is the age you're supposed to be right now. Yeah. So. It's a thought. Um, 
so I mean I don't want to go and be like oh hey this is Edmund this is I keep wanting to call him Edmund so many so many character names it's like when I'm playing D and D this is <clears throat> Eustace's last time in Narnia like I mean it's it could be easy to make that assertion because we only have one book left in the series after this yep and so like he can at most come back one more time yeah so it doesn't really matter um, also I have the feeling that in the last battle basically everybody comes back anyway. Well, that wouldn't make sense. They're not supposed to have come back. They're not supposed that, to come back. Yes, but it's the last battle, and we got to do something. I don't know. It's like the, you know, it's like the series finale where you got to pull all the other side characters in for for one last hurrah. Anyway, as to what actually happens in this book, which I haven't even touched on. Correct. I haven't gotten to what happens in this book other than, oh hey, I think one of them turns into a snake. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna say far future. The, the I did look at the map in the beginning of the Northern Lands, so I think there's definitely going to be giants involved. Okay. It's like, <clears throat> that's, I mean, if we if we speculate based on what, what it shows on the map, what do we have here? We have the ruined city of the giants, Harfang. Yep. So I think at some point we go there. Uh, this one has much less stuff marked out than other maps in, in my other books. It's like the only real things I have here are the giant bridge mm-hmm. in the city of Harfang. And then way down here, we have a gorge. Very generic. Marshes. Very generic. As far as like... Yes, but also, this is Lantern Waste over here. Yes, which has shown up in three of the maps, and we've never gone there, and we don't know anything about what the Lantern Waste it's is. It's where the Lantern is. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, we don't have a whole lot of locations. They talk about it! <laughs> Anywho... The only other interesting thing I see on this map is between the gorge and the marshes here, we have this little, like, river or something geological feature that just says M. Shrivel. Yep. So, who knows what M. Shrivel could be. Is that a person? Is that an animal? Is that a geological feature? Is Ma- is M- does M stand for mountain? Is that Mount Shrivel somewhere down there that we have to climb? Possibly. Gosh, that's that's endless possibilities. Anyway, so that's all I got. Um, not enough weird stuff happened in this chapter to really give me a good idea of where we're going. Could go anywhere. Indeed. And I've talked for long enough, so. All right. Let's close it out. There we go. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today as we discuss the chapter. Uh, Next week, we will be reading chapter two of The Silver Chair, titled Jill is Given a Task. Very generic. Which I assume is given to her by the lion. Maybe Mm -hmm. one of the birds. Between now and then, if you want to interact with us on social media or see the pictures that uh, Chris is going to draw of the reworking of the structure of Narnia, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your own fan art of the structure of Narnia at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on the Patreon if you want to do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast and help us pay our monthly hosting fee. If someone ever tells you a story about getting taken out of this world, you know, like by aliens or something, believe them immediately. (laughs) And never suck up to them. Never. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
that actually sounds fun. Um, hey, coffee alarm, how are you? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, I didn't get a sign off. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I like how you're looking at your notebook, not the book, for sign off ideas. We should, we should call that if we do the, the blah, 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 blah. If you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Okay. Her name is Pole. Yep. Jill Pole. Not cool. Without a much needed touch of whimsy. I can confirm that um, turning the brightness down on my phone is not the same as silencing my phone. We had lots of discussion in, yes. the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe episode about whether or not the wardrobe, it's in the title, Pevensey, Pevensey, that no, been, that fool Pevensey. That would have been great, though. <laughs> would have been a nice touch of whimsy in that book. I'm so certain of it. I'll fight you. <laughs>